Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Very excited about today's show. It's the third entry in our off-season interview series, and we get to talk to one of my favorite people to talk to, someone that has a deeper knowledge of football and the NFL than pretty much anyone you could stumble across Wade Phillips. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Uh, it is very good to have you on. Uh, you and I have talked about several things over the years. I, I always love picking your brain about stuff. But one thing we don't always get to talk about is you. And I remember a couple of years ago, before you guys played in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, I got to do a story that's one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to work on. And I went back through and I talked to, I don't know, 20 guys that played for you over the course of your career. And I essentially asked him a very simple question. I said, what is your best Wade Phillips story? And it was a hoot. I mean, just an absolute riot, all the things they told me. But I haven't gotten to ask you about a lot of those things. So I'm actually very excited to get to ask you your take on some of those stories. The first one I wanted to ask you about was Earl Campbell told me this, and Steve Baumgartner confirmed it. When you guys were in Houston, I want to say, Willie Nelson, I want to say, came to an Oilers practice at one point. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How did this happen? Yeah, we uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we were practicing. We, we had people show up at, at times at practice because we had uh, on Saturdays in our home games, on Sunday home games, on Saturday we had, you know, walk through practice like everybody, but but my dad invited families, uh Children, dogs, you know, <laughs> whoever, you know, there'd be a bunch of dogs out there barking and and kids running around and and yeah, one day Willie Nelson showed up and it was this in the daytime, you know, and they're those guys are <laughs> night owls, so I mean they they were they were hardly w- woken up, and of course they're white as a sheet, you know, they're they don't have any sun, they they don't get out during the day, so so he came up and then. Uh, you know, another one was uh, Muhammad Ali came. Ali came by one day. He was fighting. Really? Yeah, he was fighting in Houston, and he came by practice. And I mean, it was. Uh, in fact, one of the players, Curly Cope, kind of ch- challenged him. You know, said, "Hey, can you show me what you got." And I mean, he he popped him in the face like two times before he could even. Before he could even and the whole team just fell out. I mean, it was just. It, it was amazing, yeah. I, and then I went to I went to watch him with a lot of people, but I went to watch him work out. And it was amazing what kind of workout he did. I mean he he was he was one of the hardest workers I've seen. You know, I don't know that much about boxers, but man, he he went for an hour just straight, you know, boxing and uh, in the ring and stuff, getting ready for the fight. Of course, he won, but he won the fight. But uh, yeah, and anybody wanted to come came so 
we were we were lucky to see those guys. And how old were you during the, when you were on those Oilers when you were coaching for those Oilers teams with your dad? How much older were you than Earl, for example? Oh, we were we were similar age. I mean, I I was I was twenty seven when I started with the Oilers. So. Gotcha. And some of those guys, like Curly Cup and Elvin Bethay, were older than that I was coaching, were older than I was. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I just kind of jumped in there and, <laughs> and uh, started with the linebackers, and I had uh, uh, Robert Brazil, who was in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I moved to the defensive line with Elvin Bethay and Curly Cup, who were in the Hall of Fame. So I thought I was a heck of a coach, you know. <laughs> Anything I told those guys to do, they could do, you know. And I found out later on that uh, every team didn't have those kind of guys. So, oh, you uh, got pretty lucky though. I'm sh- I'm pretty sure that oh, yeah. uh, if if you were going to catch some breaks, I was looking through some of the numbers today. So there have been eight guys that have won multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards in NFL history. Okay, you yeah. coached four of them. Right. Six guys won the defensive player of the year while you coached them that season while you were their defensive coordinator. So it might have started off pretty good, but I didn't really tail off for the rest of your career in terms of the type of talent that you got to coach. I want to talk about that in a little bit, but I want to ask you because you were close to those guys in age and, you know, Andy Doris, who you coached with, I think the Saints told me that you were you would often spend time with those guys. You'd play cards with them. You'd be around them. Do you feel like being that close to them in age and those experiences back then with your dad shaped the way that you wanted to treat players and the way you wanted to make connections with them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've always felt that way. And I've always told coaches that I've coached with her uh, when I was a head coach, you know, you know, go by and see them when they're, you know, when they're in the dressing room, you know, mm-hmm. not just in the meeting rooms and, and when you're coaching them, but you know, get to know them as people, you know, and uh, and I, I always it helped me it helped coaching them a little bit, but it really helped just life in general. I mean, you know, you 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 learn to enjoy, you know, not only what you're doing but the people you're working with, and they're not really working for you; they're working with you. So, uh, so that uh, I always encourage that, and I always try to do that. My dad, obviously, you know, my dad was one of the few guys I'm sure that the players call him by his first, call him bomb. You know, yeah. they didn't call him coach Phillips. All the, all the players called him bomb, you know, and I know Chuck, no, at Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh players weren't calling him Chuck, you know, they were calling coach. No, <laughs> you know, I, I, so, but he always had that open openness that, uh, and, and they play, you know, you always want somebody to play hard. Well, you want, want them to play hard for somebody and hopefully it's uh, sometimes it's a coach somebody sometimes it's somebody in their family or or they're close to but but uh um I, you know i i didn't think there was anything wrong with it certainly that that if a player liked you you know they, they used to think well if players liked you well then you know you weren't a very good coach but you know i always felt like you know i'd play harder for a guy i liked than i want guy i didn't like <laughs> so do you think that made it difficult when you got to be a head coach because you had to be a little bit cold and calculating and you had to make some business decisions that were sometimes for the betterment of the entire team at the expense of guys that you had come to form relationships with? Remember Simon Fletcher told me that, that sometimes the professional aspects of being a head coach weren't your favorite because you just had to do some things that if as a person you wouldn't want to do, but as a head coach you had to do. 
Yeah, well, there's a lot, a lot more involved in being a head coach, certainly, than, than an assistant coach, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, picking the team and, you know, telling telling guys that, hey, that, you know, you can't make our team, that you still, you know, you still gave, gave it the effort we wanted and those kind of things. So it, those are hard times. But, you know, anytime we cut a guy, I never felt like that was the end of his life. You know, just got to – I mean, I never was good enough to play pro football. And my life turned out pretty good. So, you know, I mean, I can think you can do it without being a pro football player or playing on that certain team. You know, you can have a great life. So I you got fired plenty of times. Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I didn't think it was the end of the world to tell a guy that, you know, somebody or we didn't think you were good enough for the team this year, you know, that kind of thing. So, cause I didn't think it ruined their life. Now, some of the guys that played pro football, there were coaches, you know, they took it uh, really to heart because they'd gone through it, I guess, you know, but I just, I never got to go through it because I wasn't even good enough to, <laughs> to play, you know? So, uh, but that's the way it was. I know you were on Chris Vasseur's podcast a couple months ago, and I really enjoyed it. You guys really dug into a lot of the schematic stuff that defined your defense over the years and some of the three, four elements that you'd use and some of the different adjustments you'd make against certain personnel packages, all of that. I wanted to ask you, when you got, I, I looked it up today, and I want to say the first time you had the best statistical defense in the league when you were the coordinator was in with the Saints in like 1984. Right. How different, on day one of install, when you would sit there and draw it up, how different is the defense or the principles that you installed on the first day in 1984 and the first day in 2017 when you got to the Rams? Well, I mean, there, there's more stuff because there's more offensive stuff. Sure. I first came in the league, they, you know, everybody, virtually every team was a two-back offense, you know, and we didn't see three wide receivers except on third down, so – I mean, so a lot of that certainly has changed because football has changed over the years. Uh, so, you know, we had to come up with more things defensively because they have more things offensively that uh, you have to work out. The principles overall of the three, four pretty much, you know, stuck together. We've added, we've added zone blitzes and things like that that we didn't have when we first started. And, you know, I wasn't a coordinator at Houston, but I mean, we, we had the same defense, you know, and, <laughs> Uh, it came from my dad overall. And so I, I added some basically uh, as we went along as more things came up. And then uh, really when I went with Buddy Ryan, it, that really helped me in that we were in a 4-3, but it was the Bear defense. Mm -hmm. And so the, some of the stuff or a lot of the stuff uh, changed or helped uh, uh, move to 3-4 uh, defense, used the concepts, I'll say, of some of the bare things and and that helped career wise or or defense wise help help my three four overall was to have some of the bare concepts that uh, we added after I was with a, a buddy Ryan. So which ones would you say? Which ones would you think were particularly important that you feel like you took with you for the long haul? Well, that we could get in a bare front. You know that we. I mean, it was easy to go uh, three four was a lot easier to go to a bare front than than. Uh, than a than a four three because buddy Just walk somebody the, down yeah yeah I mean buddy had put the free safety down on the you know on the or the strong safety down I'm sorry strong safety down on the as a weak side inside backer you know and so uh, 
you know, when you got a three, four, you already got two inside backers already. All you have to do is bring the strong safety down on the line of scrimmage and you've got that same front. You go to a reduced front where you got two, three techniques, you know, but we do that some anyway. So, and then the con, some of the concepts, the blitzes and things like that, we, we utilize from that. Would you say that over time, one of the benefits of experience is just the deep knowledge of pressure packages that you can build? You know, I've listened to Dean Pease talk about that too. Who, I mean, he's been around for a long, long time. And they're just such a deep bag that you can go into because you can say, oh, I use this in this way and you know, 1988 and whatever with whatever personnel we had, just because they're so situational that it feels like having a deep bench of them can be useful as you keep going in your career. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I mean, uh, yeah, experience certainly helps. I mean, whatever. Uh, and and having gone through not only things that were successful, things that weren't successful, you know, <laughs> and say, I don't want to do that again, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we come up against things. And, and then often, like I said, offense has changed. I mean, we went through the run and shoot area, a time where they were doing that. You know, we had to make adjustments to that kind of stuff. But you're always making some kind of adjustment. And yeah, you keep those back in in the back of your mind, and then some comes up that's similar. You say, "Hey, well, this is what I would do against it. This, and this is what I wouldn't do." And also, personnel. I mean, uh, you know, something against a great quarterback is different than something against a rookie quarterback. You know. I wanted to ask you, with all those changes, the run and shoot, taking a fullback off the field, and having eleven personnel now essentially be a base offense. What do you think was the biggest shift, the one that required the most thinking, the most changing on your part over the course of your career, the biggest offensive shift? You know, we, when I first started, if they got in a slot, we thought they were you know, put two receivers on one side and tied in on the other. We thought they were getting pretty, pretty versatile. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I started – and then what happened is they, they started putting a wide receiver in the backfield as a, as a running back. And uh, if you treated it as a regular offense, that you know that they could beat your linebacker one on one with that wide receiver, and then they finally just moved him out into eleven personnel, moved him out in the slot. But they just started with the guy in the backfield, so it it changes as you go. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more of the the jet motion stuff now. You know, uh, that kind of stuff. So uh, there's always something that that's novel that comes up, but Defense is really recognition. You can recognize plays. That's what you try to do. And whether defensive back or linebacker or defensive lineman, recognizing plays and, uh, and you know, that that's the key. And so the more more you see those things, the more you're able to recognize those. That's why defenses keep catching up with offenses. And then, and then offenses have to come up with something else. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. 
Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. What would you say when you got when you were trying to deal with that influx of jet motion as it came about over the last I don't know five seven years let's say? What was your thought process about it? How did you? What would you first think about it? How did you try to adjust? What makes it difficult to defend when you have all of that motion at the snap? Well, uh, in, in some ways it's good because if you're going to blitz or things like that, you know, I always thought motion was good defensively because then we know when the, where the ball is going to be snapped. Mm -hmm. the jet motion stuff you know you know you know they get right to the tight end or the or the backside tackle and they snap the ball so now they're starting or at least sean mcveigh did he go jet motion and then walk out to another formation or jet motion back so you know you you have to it, it keeps progressing that way but but it's just motion you know it's just motion you just have to do things quicker you know you have to you have to make your adjustments quicker. And I think that's where they, they get a lot of people. Some people have so many adjustments that the jet motion really hurts them because they had they got, them, they got three different things that might happen and they can't get them called in time. So, uh, But, you know, we always had to, uh, at least the player, the players have to know what to do, you know. And so if it's motion or jet motion or whatever it is, they, they've got they've to be ready to change and it's got to be a quick change. It's got to be good communication, and that's that's a key. So you almost think that simplifying things and having the call be a little bit more static might be a good way to respond to that, just so you don't feel like you're scrambling and changing a bunch right as the ball is snapped. Yeah, that's not simple. You, you know, I mean, you have to say, hey, you know, for a man-to-man, we're going to do it this way. For a zone, we're going to do it this way. But it, it can't be a giveaway as which one you're in. So, you know, that's where the, some of the things come up. Uh, but that was the same way. It's the same way with – you know, motion out of the backfield, you know, I mean, Tom Brady's done that for years, motion the back out of the backfield. Uh, Shanahan, his teams have done that. Uh, Mike Shanahan used to motion the fullback out wide to the weak side to see if you're in man or zone. So, I mean, uh, that's that's always the case as far as disguise is concerned. You mentioned Sean McVay, and I was listening to a podcast he was doing the other day, and he said something that you've actually said since we started talking. You said, you used to tell your assistants, you don't work for me, you work with me. And I I think that's such a good way of putting it, and I find that so interesting. And that's easy when it's guys you've worked with before. You know, guys like Bill Johnson or Rick Cole or guys that have been with you for years. But when you got to a place and you were with an assistant that you hadn't been with before, I'm thinking of somebody like Joe Woods in Denver or Aubrey Pleasant, Joe Barry in LA, guys who are now coordinators elsewhere. How did you fold guys in that you didn't know before and didn't have a deep knowledge of your defense? What is that process early on in the winter, in the spring, when you're trying to get them acclimated to what you want to do defensively? You know, it's just like with the players. It's a little bit of selling job, you know. You you know, that's what it is. I mean, you've got to you got to let them know that, hey, this is going to be successful. Now, what I had going for me was I've been successful in a lot of places, so 
the players and the coaches that I coach with overall, when I came in, they thought, well, this guy really knows what he's doing, you know? <laughs> so they kind of took it, you know, Hey, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? So I'd show them and they'd say, well, yeah, that's great. You know I mean? Cause good coaches, you know, they, they know there's a lot of different ways to do things. And, you know, the guys you talked about, uh, you know, and then the, you let them have, have participate certainly, you know, and say, Hey, this way we've done this. What do you think? You know, those kind of things. Uh, again, working with a guy, but I went to San Diego with the Chargers and, and uh, Pagano and Manuski were there. And they, they said, you know, I said, well, the calls will bullets cover too. And they said, okay, but what, you know, what's the defense? And I said, that's the defense. That's it. You know, <laughs> so, because they hadn't heard it, you know, that simplified, I guess. Yeah. And, you have to sell people on what you're doing, the players certainly, but the coaches that you that you're coaching with, you know. And as you go go in the coordinator, you know, they expect you to say, Hey, this is my defense, this is what I want done. This but the teaching progression I think is the key, you know, to it and say this is the way we teach things and this is how we get them done and, and the fundamentals that we do are just as important as some of the X's and O's. So I was watching, I went back and I watched the 2015 AFC Championship game today because I was thinking about it for something else. I was like, oh, this is perfect timing. I'll go watch it and I'll check it out. And I was at that game. And my memory of it was that you guys just dominated them up front and that Brady was just running for his life and Vaughn and Malik Jackson had this monster game and they played well. But you guys were doing so many three-man rushes in that game. Vaughn had an interception on a fire zone where he was dropping into coverage. You guys mixed it up so much. And the game plan overall just, Brady was clearly uncomfortable. And it was really cool to watch because that so rarely happens. So I wanted to ask you, and I I know you're not a self-aggrandizer, but is there a game plan or a game from your career that you're particularly proud of? Like one Sunday afternoon, we're like, you know what? We really did it today. Is there one that sticks out? No, all the wins stick out. (laughs) (laughs) Among the wins. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, well, I mean, that one, you know, that, I mean, we hit Tom Brady 24 times in that game. I mean, mean, and it wasn't me or my scheme. It was, you know, I, I do think. We we gave him some things he hadn't seen before and seen us play before, and I think you have to do that with the with the Mannings or Brady's or you know some of those guys because you know they they recognize what you what you do really quickly no matter what. Uh, so we threw a few different things against them. Like what? What were the kind of the wrinkles that you decided well, to unleash three, that day? The three man rush, like you said, three man rush where we uh, you know we dropped two guys in the in the zone. In, in, in the hook zone, and then I dropped Vaughn, and from a four-three front, from four-man front, uh, and then we dropped Vaughn in, in the, kind of the curl area, and that gave him a lot of problems because, you know, we played him, we were playing them in the game plan. Certainly, was from the week before they played Kansas City, and they threw thirty-five passes, five yards or, or shorter. Yeah, I mean they killed him, but every play was five-yard pass. You know. So we had to get some kind of underneath coverage that we could that we could stop that, you know. We could cover man to man outside technique, but also have the guys inside playing zone, you know. But you had to have more people, so you couldn't rush. You couldn't rush four or five. So, uh, so we tried to mix it up, and then 
we also played the things that we played well. Now, I mean, some of our, our cover two or, or whatever you want to call it, we covered eight at the time, and uh, you know, and, and cover six. We we played some different coverages that we play all the time that we executed well too. You know, and and we had a good rush no matter what. But we still <laughs> we still had to intercept the ball with a two point play at the game. Yeah, I know, I know. It was so, a tight I mean, game despite like, how well you guys played. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the actually the the uh, the game we played uh, in, during the season uh, at the end of the year there uh, in Denver when we beat them, we we probably played just as good in that game too. So we beat them in overtime. But uh, the overtime game was. They won the coin flip, and I saw Brady just jumping up and down over there. We won the f- coin flip. We're going to go down and score. And, of course, we sacked him and all the way back to the eight-yard line, five-yard line, and and they had to punt, and we got the ball on the you know 38-yard line, and uh, uh, C.J. took it for a touchdown. So and we, we played pretty well in that game too. But but that team, you know, we beat Roethlisberger. And then, I mean, the, the, the Super Bowl now – we sacked Cam seven times. I remember. Again, I was there. So, yeah. I mean, you know, we had some pretty good games, but it was we had some really good players too. So, and, and that the three man rush was an outlier because that year I remember specifically, you guys went to that five man rush a ton. You guys just oh. created one on ones across the board and essentially told Vaughn and Demarcus and Malik, like, go for it. You're going to have one on one beat the guy across from you. Is that something that you just felt like if we create those one-on-ones, it's okay giving up a body in coverage because we feel like we're going to get there? Because it felt like that was a big staple of what you did later in your career. No, we did that with the Houston Oilers too. So. Okay. <laughs> and the Saints, Ricky, we had Ricky Jackson and the Saints. And we, those was, I did not watch he, as much. He was playing the Sam linebacker. And to get him to rush, you had you had to have a five-man rush. You know, you rush and will all the time, basically. Mm-hmm. So the five man rush was we had to get him going. So uh, it, it just depends on your personnel too, or who you have, and you got to have guys that can cover. Now we we played a lot more zone at New Orleans. That that was the amazing thing about that New Orleans team that led the league in defense was we played mostly zone because of our secondary guys, and we played matchup zone that's probably as good as any team I've ever been around. I mean, because we played in the Dome Stadium, you know, in, in New Orleans, and that. Uh, stadium. So the teams that play good pass defense are usually up north. You know, <laughs> the last, last half of the season, you can't throw it. I mean, it, you know, the weather's too bad. But we uh, we had we had a great bunch with those guys. And uh, but it just depends on what your players can do too. I mean, uh, we had some players that can do more. You're going to let them do more. You know, if you got some great rushers, you can better rush them. And you know, if you got two outside backers like Demarcus and and Vaughn. Which one do you want dropping? You know, I don't no, want either. either. Exactly. Why would I either drop? drop yeah. I don't want them dropping or covering. I want them rushing. And so now we ran some pseudo five man rushing that we'd rush five, but one of one of them would be responsible for the back or mm-hmm. having you know pick up the back if you try to check through and things like that. So and we played a lot more four man rush than people thought. I mean, people thought we we rushed. You know, because our rush was so good, <laughs> they, thought we were, they thought we were. And of course, people people think a five man rush is a blitz overall. You know, and they they say, well, you know, Wade's team coming out of the dressing room, they're blitzing. You know, well, we didn't. I don't know if we ran any 
all out blitz, you know, maybe, maybe once or twice, but not very many times, maybe on the goal line, but I always like to get into free safety in the middle, just in case that somebody fell down or something. <laughs> so that day was against Brady. You played against Peyton Manning several times and you've done okay against Peyton Manning several times. I think you picked him off four times in Dallas in 2010 you know, he had some rough games against the Chargers when you were there. There was one, I think, big game that he had late in the season against you guys. But you have a ton of experience against both of them. I'm curious, when you were game planning for each of them, what was different? What different considerations did you have to apply to Peyton Manning than the ones you had to apply to Tom Brady? Between the two guys or just both those guys? I mean, just between between the two guys, because well, you, let's, I mean, I'm sure both of them. There's a lot, but I'm curious what's different about them in terms of game planning for them. Yeah, I, well, of course, Manning uh, was always he was going to always catch you if you change personnel. You know, so uh, you had to worry about that with him all the time. And for a time there, you, they could change personnel, and if you change, you you know, they could catch you now. Then they changed the rule where the offense, uh, you know, had to give you time to change to match up. But, but, uh, but if you tried to change the packages, you know, people have so many packages and stuff. If you tried to change, he'd snap the ball and catch you with, you know, twelve men on the field every time. So, you could never do that against uh, Manning. I think Brady just wanted to see what you had out there. Whatever you had out there, that's what he's going to do something against. Both of them are great. And recognizing what you were in, you know, anything you give away, they they knew. And both of them after the snap knew what you were in anyway. So <laughs> I think I think Manning was the best at uh, between the two, was the best at at uh, audible in the running game. You know, he'd audible to a run, whereas Brady didn't I mean Brady had a pass call, he's gonna throw a pass basically, you know. Manning, if he had a pass call, he might he might audible to a running play. So you had to be careful. With some of the zone or some of the zone blitzes and things like that, where you open on one side or the other, you you couldn't do that against Manning because you know he would he'd run the ball on you. So, but both of them, you know, both of them were so good at and a lot of those, not a lot of them, but you know, Philip Rivers was Philip Rivers was amazing too. I mean, you know, he he would point at the strong safety and say, "Hey, you need to move over if you're going to blitz." He said, "You need to move over." <laughs> you know, I mean, so you know they they. Uh, they know what you're in, you know, and they're hard to fool. Um, and that's why you play something you hadn't played against them. But it's got to be something, like you said, you got to pull out from your history of what, you know, what you think uh, might be good against them. You know, it's still got to be sound, it's still, but it's got to be something they hadn't seen. And, you know, they've seen almost everything. But they're so prepared against what you do and where you line up and how you do it. And the reason you're good is because you do it that way. But they're so good at recognizing that stuff that you have to give them something different. So how do you balance that? Because I'm sure that your players aren't always comfortable if it's new. You don't know where the weaknesses are if it's new. So how do you try to strike that balance of saying, we're going to do something they've never seen because that's the best way to beat them, but we're also not as comfortable with it? I mean, it's not every play, you know. It's I mean, you're still going to play your base stuff, you know, a good amount of the time. But your change-up defenses, uh, that's where you – thats you know, you're going to play them a few times. You're not going to play them every down. Or he's, the same thing. He's going he's gonna to figure it out after a while. But, I mean, you know, the, but the first time we, we drop Vaughn, you know, we get an interception. You know, yeah, he I didn't don't see know. it coming at all. Yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, I, that's that's where you gain some kind of advantage against those great, great players like that. But like I say, if we'd run that every down, he would have just waited and waited and waited till people got open because because of the three-man rush. So we had to have a four- or five-man rush against him some uh, to to pressure him, you know, to, to make him throw it. He's still – even the great ones, I mean, you still got to put pressure on the quarterback. And the reason you get those interceptions or you, you stop them or make plays is not normally because you have great coverage. It's because you have great rush. One of the cool things about that game specifically is that they were trying to do a lot of the same things they'd always done. They get a back or Gronk or someone matched up against a safety or a linebacker, an area they think they have a matchup advantage. And your guys that typically would be not cover guys, TJ Ward, Trevathan, Brandon Marshall, those guys showed up in a big way that day. TJ Ward had a one-on-one pass breakup against Gronk on the outside. I think Brandon Marshall had a pass breakup about 25 yards down the field on a slot fade. It's got to be nice over the course of a game when you see that even when they think they have matchup advantages, your guys are able to rise to the occasion the entire game. Yeah, well, that team was <laughs> – that defensive team was hard to get matchups on. I mean, they were so yeah, good. It's very true. It's very yeah. true. I mean, I mean, those guys you talked about, they, they were all – they were all – they were good pass defense players. They just – TJ was, was stronger in the run and great in, uh, you know, added rush players. So, we, we you know, that's what he did well. So, that's what we tried to do with him. And then sometimes if we needed help, we, we would – the outside backer would hit the back and then help Marshall or somebody like that. Gervaisen was a really good man-to-man player, so we didn't have to give him much help. So, it, it just depends on the player, you know, is what you do with him. But – like I say, it's it, it, it's the rush that that makes the difference, and when he has to throw the ball, and uh, or how he has to throw it, and if he's under duress or if he's just sitting back in the pocket, and even the threat of the rush, having it be in his head and having him have that internal clock get sped up a little bit, even if they're not getting there, I think the threat of guys like that that always plays a part. I mean, just getting in the quarterback's yeah. mind it influences the way he plays the game. Yeah, and the two things you could do against those guys, you know, which you, you can't do against some, neither one of them could run. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, well, I mean, but you, now you, you know, you don't normally rush and then go in, rush inside, you rush outside. Uh, I'm talking about the outside guys, but you give them the freedom to go inside or outside against, you know, the, the guys that aren't runners, you know. So uh, that's why Mahomes is so good, you know. And and Rogers, but uh, th- those kind of guys, you know, they they can not only throw it almost as good as those other two guys, but they they can run with the ball, you know, and so uh, they can make those plays that that you know those, you would never see Brady or or Manning run for a first down, you know, against you. So, but those guys can do that. So so you have to take advantage of that. I mean, you have to you have to give them free rushes. You know, say hey, I don't care where you go. You just beat your guy, you know? And then you have to, like you said, you have to get one-on-ones with with your best players. Everybody I talked to, whether it was Bruce Smith or J.J. Watt or all of the guys that you coach, you gave them a ton of freedom. And that was a staple of your approach as a defensive coach. When you were thinking about guys like that, when you like stepped into the room with Aaron Donald for the first time, for example, is the ways you used J.J. Watt and the backlog of experience you had with a guy like J.J. Watt, did that inform the ways that you tried to use Aaron 
did one of them kind of help understand the other? Well, like I said, I started out with some pretty good players, you know. Yeah, even even Reggie White, Yuri Bruce Smith. Yeah. I mean, it's so. And did you guys did did your experience with those guys help inform the way you wanted to use star players later on? Do you feel like they were similar enough? Oh yeah, yeah. And you, like I said, I mean, if if the guy's a great pass rusher, you, you got to get him one on one. You know, and that, that's uh, whether it's an outside backer in, or a D lineman or whatever. Even a nose guard, even a no, if you had a great nose guard that could rush the passer, you you know you'd reduce down to two three techniques and make sure it's one on one with the center all the time. Mm-hmm. It's simple, but it's not because so many people are so uh, scheme oriented that we can't do well. We don't do that, you know. So, well, <laughs> yeah, but you got Aaron Donald. You better. You know. <laughs> and of course, when I got there, you know, Aaron Donald was playing a four three, and he was the best three technique in the league, you know. I mean, in, in football, it's bad three technique. They said, well, you're coming in with a 3-4 defense. You're going to mess him up. And so what do we play him in a 3-4? Well, we played in the weak side three technique. He played, a lot of de- he played a decent amount of de- defensive end that year too, though, didn't he? I mean, he, you moved him around a lot, but just to get him matchups, right? No. Yeah, we moved him around in our four-man front. Yes. Yeah, when uh, passing downs. Again, matchups, and so they couldn't double-team him. We put him against the worst uh, guard or center or tack our guard. You know, we might put him against a tackle every once in a while. Not much, but but whichever the weakest interior lineman of the two guards in the center on third downs, we're gonna he's gonna be against that guy, and we're gonna make sure that he's one on one. That's uh, I mean that seems simple, but some people you know they're afraid to do stuff like that. I don't know why. Because he plays this position, and he has to do it this way. This is the way we say. But I've always had more success with what they can do, not 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 some kind of scheme that I thought was great on the board. <laughs> and you, the freedom you gave those guys, they always appreciated it. I think JJ especially has told me in the past that you know, when he would go back to work on certain plays, and other coaches used to bitch at him, you would be okay with it as long as it worked, because that's the whole point. Were there guys among the, those star players that you had? Was there anybody that you ever had to rein in a little bit where they they weren't abusing that right, but they were taking it maybe a little bit too far every once in a while? No, and that's because those guys. The reason you let them do that is because they make the right decisions. Yeah, you know the reason that you don't let other guys do that is they <laughs> they can't they can't number one they can't do as as much, but also they. Uh, they, they they don't make the right decision. They go inside and the guy quarterback gets outside. But, you know, some of them are spe- – I mean, Bruce Smith, I mean, God, what, the things we could do with him was amazing. And J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt, we audible things – we audible defensive things where he made – he would stunt inside or go outside on the formation. Now, how many defensive linemen know how – know what the formation is? <laughs> you know? Well, he, you know, he could do that, so we let him do it, you know. So that, that, those kind of things. But it's what the guy can do, you know. And you have to know their weaknesses, you know. You have to know things that they can't do well. And I'm talking about every player on defense, but uh, I think that's what you do. And you say, hey, this guy can, you know, this guy's a great uh, bump and run guy, but he's not a good off cover guy. I mean, you you have to know those things, you know, as far as man to man. I'm talking about so. Uh, you have to utilize those things, and and then you get a great one that can do almost everything. 
Um, what does he do best? Well, let's 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 get him in that situation, or at least get him one on one. I've tried to bait you into comparing those guys and some of those guys in the past, and you've always refused to do it, which I appreciate you. You're a man of character. But I wanted to ask you, is Aaron at this point, what you've seen from him over the last four or five years when you were with him and then even last season, do you think he's reached the same plane as guys like Reggie White in terms of being one of the greatest defensive players to ever play? Do you think he's on that level now? Well, all those Hall of Fame guys are. I mean, gee. See, you, you know. always do this. See, you, well, I mean, they <laughs> are. It's hard to say one Hall of Fame guy is better than the other. I, mean, I know, I know. Because their era and what they played in, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, I, and I have said this, and I, and I really believe this, Reggie White had the best season, one season that I've ever been around. Yeah. Yeah, because in 12 games, he had 21 sacks. Now, nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to come close to that. I mean, no, that's, you know, that's that's an unheard of record that I don't think anybody could come close to because because we had a strike season and he didn't play the first four games and then he, he gets 21 sacks. So, I, I uh, you know, I don't know anybody's – and none of those guys have come close to that. I mean, they've all had 20 sacks, but uh, – but not in 12 games. <laughs> so uh, that season was uh, unbelievable by one guy. Uh, but all those guys, I mean, you know, it, I mean, T.J. Watt could be player of the year again. I mean, defensive player of the year uh, this year too. I mean, that guy's a great player, you know. So, I mean, I, I, uh, and I think Smith, people forget how, how dominant he was in like 2012, 2013, those couple of years. I mean, it, he was – unstoppable for those few okay. seasons. I mean, it was on a level that I, I don't think people who weren't watching the sport closely appreciate now. I mean, obviously Aaron Donald and what he does is special, but those few years that JJ had, I think were just as dominant, just as impressive as the stuff that Aaron Donald is doing right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I say. Those, those, those hall of fame guys, it's hard to say one of them better at their peak than the other one. You know, you've had plenty of them. I'm curious, not hall of fame guys. Guys that you've coached that maybe don't get enough enough recognition. Is there somebody that you feel like over the course of your career? I'm sure there's plenty, but is there someone that sticks out that you feel like it was just cr- criminally underrated, just consistently underappreciated that you were around? Well, you know, Simon Fletcher was a heck of a player uh, and and had a lot of sacks when I was with him at Denver, and and I don't think he got a lot of recognition for that. In fact, he didn't make the Pro Bowl one year because we coached the Pro Bowl one year and and. The outside backers, I, I told them, I said, man, you guys are lucky, Simon Fletcher, and they got mad at me because <laughs> I <laughs> told them Simon Fletcher was just as good as they were, but the Pro Bowlers. But oh, guys like that, I mean, you know, I've been around, uh, luckily, been around a lot of good players. So, um, but, you know, it's not all, it's production, you know, and when they get, Merriman was a heck of a player, you know, I mean, he, when he had 16 sacks in 12 games, so he he didn't get 21, but he had 16, 12 games. But uh, Jamal Williams was great too on those teams. I think people forget about how good he was those couple of years that you had him there. Oh yeah, well, he, yeah he, he, oh he was, yeah he was outstanding. Plus he was amazing. He knocked down more passes than anybody <laughs> taller, six one than anybody I've ever been around. So. I use him as an example of how to do it because, 
you know, he he, he could do that besides just overpowering the center uh, every play. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a great one too. When you were installing defense with the Rams, what was the oldest clip on your teach tape? Like how far back did it go? Any of the examples? Uh, we still call everything, you know, Sam, Mike, Mo, and Will, you know. Uh, now it used to be Sam, Mike, Meg, and Will, and then the, our guy, our inside backer, didn't want to be called Mo. I mean, he wanted to be called Meg, so we called him Mo. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, we had a weak safety, and and our our safety didn't we didn't want to be called weak safety, so we start calling free safety. <laughs> uh, these are the things you don't think about as as a coach when you're talking to players they they yeah. don't want to be weak and they don't want to be megs that's right that's right so, <laughs> uh but you know all our terminology stuff is pretty close to the same from when i first started because it was simple enough to know you know you know sam is always on the tight end will is always on the open side mike is always uh inside with the sam on his the same side uh, over the guard, and then the, Mo is always with Will all the time, you know. And call Sam and Will, and and they know Sam. The linemen know the three linemen know Sam and Will. It's called Sam and Will. Sam and Will are rushing, and Mike and Mo are covering. It's called it's called Mike and Mo. Then Sam and Will are are covering, and Mike and Mo are rushing. Or if you just call one of them, it's called Mike rush. Within the three other three guys got to cover. So I mean, it, it, uh, it's always worked. And, and we try to make it not simple, but but try to make it fit where the players know what to do. I mean, people just uh, they go overboard on you know changing this guy and that guy and changing the rush when when they motion and things like that. And you make more mistakes, and the more mistakes you make, the, the bigger chance you got of getting beat. So uh, we try to try to, the teaching progression. I think is the best that we've had that we've had over the years is the best because. We've been able to go in the first year and change defenses from, like the Texans from thirty-first to second, you know, uh, you know those kind of things. So uh, uh, that that makes me feel like that. Look, you know, now they weren't good. That's that's why they. <laughs> that's why I came in because the team wasn't good. You know, the defense wasn't good. Well, you ha- you also got a, a number ninety-nine your first year there as a rookie that ended up being pretty good. So that it helps when the when the players get better too. <laughs> Oh yeah, we well we traded. Yeah, we got Johnson Joseph. We we picked up in free agency and and Daniel Manning in secondary because we had a bad secondary, so we brought those guys in. And uh, Connor Barwin, we moved to outside backer in, in a three four. He was a dominant player. Uh, so yeah, we. I mean, it's still players that you get. It wasn't like I say, it wasn't wasn't me, but we still won games uh, and played well in the first couple of years. So. Uh, which made me think, hey, we're not making – and that's that's part of what we've always done is said, hey, we don't make mistakes, you know. Well, people – I mean, our, our tolerance for mistakes is zero. And there's no tolerance, tolerance for mental mistakes. Well, those mental mistakes, we're the teachers. I'm talking about the coaches. Mm-hmm. So if they're making mental mistakes, it's our fault. <laughs> so we need to remedy that, you know. So that's 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 why we say, you know, we get them to believe, hey, we're not going to make any mistakes, but we're not going to make any mental mistakes, and and that means if they're running jet motion, 
and you have to change three different things, you might not get them all changed. So you better have one way to do it and how you do it. Now you might change it from week to week, you know, but uh, people don't, don't realize that it's a game of mistakes and the more mistakes you make, the less chance you have one. Awesome. Wade, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's always good to chat with you. You're doing a new podcast with your son, Wes, called Overtime. So people should definitely go check that out if they haven't. You guys, I'm sure, will be talking about all kinds of different stuff. Your son is an assistant with the Rams. So that is definitely something people should listen to. Yeah, we uh, we started it. We just we we just dropped one so far, but we're going to talk about you know the Dallas Cowboys and the Denver Broncos and the Houston Oilers and the Eagles and <laughs> Chargers and uh, Buffalo. You know, you know. They, I mean, I can talk you know on all these teams I've been with, and then my dad obviously talking about him, and then Wes. You know, Wes has been in the league like fourteen years now, so. I mean, uh, there's a lot of a lot of things I think people would be interested in. Wes, Wes is a, a tremendous moderator. I'll say that for him so far. <laughs> he does a good job. But it, yeah, I think it's worth listening to. I think people enjoy it. Awesome. Well, Wade, thank you very, very much for the time. It's great to chat with you. I'm sure we'll catch up down the road. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you you bet. Always talk great talking to you because you talk football, Robert. <laughs> I, you know what? I, we, anytime. You know I'm always down to do it. I'll talk right. to you soon for sure. Okay, good. All right, see you later, Wade. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. Thank you so much for stopping by, and thank you to Wade Phillips for his time. So much fun to chat with him, always an absolute legend, one of my favorite people to have a football conversation with. I'm glad you guys got to be in on it this time. We'll be back tomorrow with Nate. We're going to do something about the best offenses in the NFL last year, just kind of the lessons we learned from digging in and re-watching some of them, which we've both been doing over the last few days or so. We'll also have another edition of the interview series next week with an NFL head coach, which I'm very much looking forward to. I hope you guys are as well. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast. You guys have been doing better, which I really appreciate it, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you guys listen. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. I have a piece out today about the Bucks and how they ran it back with all 22 starters. What that means based on recent history and whether that gives them a better chance theoretically of repeating, which no team has done in a very, very long time. We'll be back tomorrow with Nate. Until then, thank you guys for listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.